great to be at a church that knows how to laugh. And, uh, and I appreciate Doug. And uh, he, he set me up this morning, though. He's talking about I was going to memorize everybody's name. Those of you that weren't in the second service, uh, I went and I, well, see, now I even got the names of the guys I was trying to, that I did get right at one time. There was a, Benjamin's the boy and Craig, is that right? And Craig, okay, got that right. But so I, I called, I got up here, was going to show off, and I called Craig Richard. But I got Benjamin right, so 500's not bad. That's not, that's not bad. You'll get in the Hall of Fame batting that in baseball. So, um, But it is great to be here, and my wife Terry's with us, and uh, so good to see Miss Etta again. Uh, of course, uh, Etta and Ben Carlisle were down in Jackson County for many, many years, good friends, uh, and it's so good to see her. And it's always good to see Brother brother John, and uh, I'm glad he's a missionary. He's He's been going to the Presbyterians. And so we, we, we couldn't send one, of, we send one of our finest down there. So that's so good. And, uh, but it's, it's great to be here. We're preaching from James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verses 1 through 8 tonight. And just thinking about being joyful, being joyful. Uh, now, I, I've got to share this. My, my dad's a pastor. He's been a, a pastor for many, many years. He's originally from Pascagoula. He's 83 years old, and he still preaches when he gets the opportunity. And then when he's not preaching, uh, he's teaching a Sunday school class. And in that Sunday school class, he's preaching too, by the way. Uh, the, the guys love, love to hear him get on a roll. And uh, I love my dad. And, and he goes to First Baptist McGee, and he told me this, this story that his pastor uh, shared. He said there was this uh, older couple. Uh, they had been married for many, many years, and uh, they made a practice of going out every morning and sitting on their front porch, and they would do it in the afternoon as well. And a younger couple moved in to the house across the street. And uh, every morning when uh, the man would leave for work, they would, the wife would come out front porch, and they would give a passionate kiss. In the evening when he came home from work, the wife would come out on the front porch and give a passionate kiss. And this older couple was watching this. So after about three or four days, the, uh, the older lady turned to her husband and said, why don't you ever do that? And he said, honey, I don't even know that lady. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> anyway, I thought, now, if you didn't like that joke, that was my dad's fault. All right, that's my dad's fault. That's, that's a Baptist preacher joke for sure. Uh, let's look at uh, James chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. It says, James, a bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. May God bless the reading of his holy word. Let's pray. 
God, we do thank you for your word. And Father, we pray that you would help us to understand how we can be joyful in, in difficult times. We thank you so much for the joy of our salvation and for the fact that you never change, you never leave us. So please, uh, may we hear from you tonight. Thank you for everyone that's here, Father. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We want to look at this scripture and uh, just come up with three truths. The first thing that I want us to look at here is the passage that started in verse 2, where it says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now, the truth is, this is a difficult verse for me, maybe not for you, but what's it telling us to do? Count it joy when we fall into various trials. That's not always easy, is it? I'm kind of a worrier, and so when I face difficulty, I want to worry my way through it sometimes. I want to try to, to get the answers right then. And, but what does the Scripture tell us? Count it joy. Sometimes I can feel bad for myself if something's happened, or why is everybody picking on me, or why is God, sometimes I might even say, why is God picking on me? That's not healthy. <laughs> but I'm so glad that that most of the time, if I really, if I really get myself still and I worship the Lord, I know that I can have joy in difficult times. And I've seen this in my life many times. It's not about our circumstances that determine that. Well, what's joy? First, it says, that's what is joy? Well, I like this definition. It's the inner attitude of rejoicing in one's salvation regardless of the outward circumstances. Do you hear that? Joy is the inner attitude of, of knowing that we have our salvation in the Lord no matter what the circumstances are. No matter what happens, for those of us who are saved and in Christ, we have Christ. And when Christ is all we have, Christ is all we need, right? We can have the joy. Now, it doesn't mean, he doesn't expect us to... Uh, smile necessarily all the time no matter what's going on of course we we have to shed tears sometimes but the ultimate thing is we can still have joy and it's amazing the people that I've had the uh, the, the ability I mean the, the opportunity to get to know that even in some horrible situations have been able to practice joy uh the first one I remember is when I was uh, serving in Pine Grove, Louisiana, in St. Helena Parish. And there was a, a, a man there that uh, was always jovial, always happy. But he uh, developed cancer. It was actually skin cancer and had a major facial surgery. And I remember seeing him and... To be honest, it's kind of difficult even to, to look at him, all the things that he was facing. But he taught just like nothing had happened. He still had his faith in the Lord. We talked about the Lord. He was still joyful. So we can have joy. If we got Jesus, no matter what happens, we've got all we need, right? <laughs> He's with us. He's promised us. You know, I said this morning, I'm uh, the last... Three or four sermons I've preached, I've quoted this Tony Evans. Faith is acting like God is telling the truth. He is truthful. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No matter what happens, he's with us. And so he says, count it all joy. 
Francis Chan says, the Bible teaches that true joy is formed in the midst of the difficult seasons of life. A.W. Pink, one of my uh, favorite commentarians, says that the mere fact itself that God's will is irresistible and irreversible fills me with fear. But once I realize that God wills only that which is good, my heart is made to rejoice. Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purposes. Now, when difficult things, we can learn. We can, we, when difficult times happen, uh, they're happening for a reason, and they make us stronger. Now, of course, uh, we don't have to like it, <laughs> and things don't always Sometimes we're, we're waiting for things to get easy, but I believe things don't always get easy. And, and, and if you're like me, I don't really learn a lot unless, <laughs> unless there's some consequences to it, right? Uh, and so, so just like a, a football team has to play tough opponents at times, just playing an easy schedule is not going to make them better, but when they play those tougher opponents, they're going to, get stronger, have more confidence in themselves. So when we face difficult times, God is with us, and he shows us that, that he is true. He is faithful. D.L. Uh, Moody once said, the Lord gives his people perpetual joy when they walk in obedience to him. We can't have joy if we're not obedient. You know, if we're not faithfully living out our lives, we are going to be grumpy. Did you know sometimes there are grumpy people in church? Not this church, but other churches. They have some real grumpy people. And that's a sign that they probably aren't being very obedient to the Lord. If you're not faithful sharing your faith and practicing what God tells you, if you could come to church and hear the, the, the truth of how we should be living our lives, and you keep saying, no, I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to do that, you're not going to have joy. But when you're obedient to do what he's called you to do, that's when you can have joy. So, so the first truth is we can have joy in difficult times. The second thing I find in verses 3 through 4 is that we must live according to God's timeline and prayerfully endure trials until he has completed his work. The scriptures, let's read those again from James chapter 1. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? Patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And it says that if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. See, we want to be on God's timeline. Because when we go through these trials, it perfects our faith. And then what does it do? It produces patience. Now that is difficult as well. Most of us want what we want when we want it, and we want what we want right now, right? We don't want to wait. But when we work and are faithful and obedient to God, then that patience is developed. And then, then once patience has done its perfect work, then it says that we will lack nothing. When we realize that we can wait on the Lord, now, sometimes he answers prayers quickly. Sometimes we have to wait a while. And so it's about that, that trusting in him. Again, 
trusting that he's telling the truth, trusting that he's doing a work in us and he's helping us. So he's perfecting us. You know, the scripture says, uh, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete unto the day of Christ Jesus our Lord. He's working on us always. You know, we're saved, and then we go through this life. And, and then, But when we get to heaven, we're going to be perfect. I, a good friend, Jimmy Holcomb, once said, I never will forget this. He said this at a funeral. He said, you know, we look at our loved one that's dying, and um, you could say even the word broken sometimes. And my mother uh, dealt with dementia, and it was difficult to watch her in that process. But as she was getting close to death, uh, Brother Jimmy said this. He said, you know, the way we see them, we see them as broken. But just before uh, our loved one takes that last breath, for the ones that are in Christ, the ones that are saved, just before they take that last breath, heaven sees them as almost perfect. Then they take that last breath, and they've been perfected. He's working on us throughout this entire life, and none of it's wasted. And so he's faithful to us, and he will give us. And it says if we lack wisdom, we need to ask of God. So have the patience to, to ask God uh, and to teach us, and then to let him do his work. You know, there's a, a gentleman named R.U. Darby. He and his uncle were out in Colorado, and they discovered gold. This was many years ago. So uh, R.U. Darby and his uncle uh, got on a train, went back to the northeast where they were from, raised a lot of money, and bought equipment to go back and mine this gold. So when they get back, they found a large vein that had been running, a vein of gold running through this mountain. And so uh, they were consistently finding gold, and they were excited, but all of a sudden, they lost the vein. They couldn't find it. And they dug, and they drilled, and they drilled, and they dug, and they never found any more gold. So they decided to quit. They just gave up. And they sold the machinery to a local junk man. <laughs> they sold the equipment for a few hundred dollars. They took the train and went home. Now, we might think of junk men as being uh, dumb sometimes, but this one was not. <laughs> he decided if these people had first spent all this money on this equipment obviously there must be something here so he called an engineer and an engineer came in and followed the, the and, and looked and, and did this research and they realized that the gold was present that R.U. Darby and his uncle stopped just three feet from where the vein of gold was. Three feet. It's a yard. <laughs> yard, I guess it's more. Uh, three feet. So what did the junk man do? He took that machinery, he drilled it, and he became a multi-millionaire. So what's the lesson there? <laughs> Let's don't stop too early. Sometimes God's in this process. He's teaching us, and we, we, we just don't want to wait. Then we'll, we'll just give up, or we'll try a shortcut, and, and we lose the lesson that he's trying to teach us. Also, what the 
the, the fellow here that owned, that bought the equipment, he knew the importance of calling an expert in. See, that's what I do sometimes. I'm trying to solve this problem, and I forget to ask God to help me solve it. We don't have to live that way. We must live according to, according to God's timeline, prayerfully endure, trial, endure trials until he has completed his work. He will complete his work. The last thing I want to share is that we must trust God completely and never doubt his love. Let's read verses um, uh, 5 through, through 8 here. Verses 5 through 8 of James chapter 1. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Yes, we can trust in the Lord and never doubt his love. We are standing on the rock, right? We are standing on the rock. So what will our response be? What will our, be, our response be to the difficulties of life? Well, one thing that we can do is that we can fight with God. We can fight against him. And uh, Proverbs 3, 11 through 12 says, My son, do not despise the chast chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects. Just as a father in the son just as a father, the son in whom he delights. So we can fight against this, against what God is wanting us to do. Or we could use the word, we could rumble. You ever heard of a rumble? That's a fight, I understand. I, I try to stay away from those. But we can try to rumble with God, fight with God. But I promise you we're not going to win. There's many people that, that you see doing that today that are rebelling against God. And But he knows the way that we should go. So we can respond to a difficult situation by a rumble. <laughs> Another thing is we can do, we can allow the trials to discourage us and keep us from following Jesus. We can stumble. <laughs> we can stumble. But Hebrews 10, 23 said, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. We don't have to stumble. We can understand that he will carry us and teach us in the situations. The next thing that we could do is, like we could rumble, fight with God. We can stumble, allow the difficulty to cause us to stumble and, and get away from God. Another thing we can do is we can complain, which is we can mumble. You see the rhyme in here? You know, I went to seminary for this, you know. Uh, the, the, we, we can mumble about the problems that we're having. And that, that comes naturally to some of us, doesn't it? To complain and question if God cares for us and if he will ever help us. You know, a pity party is never any fun. You ever been to a pity party? You know, at pity parties, the jokes aren't funny. They're not as funny as Doug and our jokes. And they're just not funny at all. At a pity party, the... The refreshments are terrible. The, the, the punch is cold at a pity party. 
the sandwiches taste, I mean, they, they don't, they're not seasoned, they're just bland. Uh, it's not any fun at a pity party. Nobody's having any fun at that pity party. I, I've thrown some, and so I, I'm speaking from experience. Pity parties are just, just not what you want to be. You don't want to be a part of one. Aren't you glad that Helen Keller wasn't part of one? Helen Keller, you remember her. She was an American educator, an advocate for the blind and the deaf. At the age of two, Helen Keller was stricken by a disease, and it left her blind and non-hearing. Beginning in 1887, Ann Sullivan, her teacher, helped her make tremendous progress. And how, how is that? It's just amazing. It's a miracle. She made tremendous progress, and Helen Keller had the ability to communicate. She went to college, and she graduated in 1904 as the first blind and non-hearing person to complete a Bachelor of Arts degree. Helen Keller once said this, self-pity is our worst enemy, and if we yield to it, we can never do anything good in the world. I think we'd say that Helen Keller, Keller probably deserved to have a pity party every now and then with the challenges she faced, but she didn't give in to the, that self-pity, did she? So we, we can complain when difficult times come, or we can continue to trust in the Lord and allow him to do his perfect work. So we can, we can rumble with God, <laughs> try to fight with him, we can stumble, allow the difficulties to, to keep us from being all that we need to be and can be in Christ. We can mumble and complain. Or we can do what the scriptures have told us. We can humble ourselves. Humble ourselves. We can be teachable and ask the Lord for the wisdom that he desires us to learn from the difficulties we face. Matthew 23 12 says, and whoever exalts, him, exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Isaiah 29, 19, the humble also shall increase their joy in the Lord, and the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. We humble ourselves. He will increase our joy, the scripture says. James 4, 10 says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. It's been said, everyone has a choice. We can either be, be humble or be humbled. <laughs> because God loves you too much to allow you to live with pride, to allow you to to go you're you're his he he wants you he wants to have a relationship with you now he's gonna not gonna force you but there are times that come and the difficulties come and he can teach us <laughs> and as as i said nothing catches him by surprise he never has a a what uh, a what if moment or a or a aha moment it, nothing catches him by surprise so we can trust in the Lord. In, in my life, I'm trying to think of those difficulties that, that I faced when and I learned that, that God was faithful. Um, 
Once when I was a youth minister at Wade Baptist Church, uh, we had some youth that we were reaching out to that weren't the, the best behaved teenagers, not like these. You, you have fine students here that look how well behaved they are. Um, and But these boys, uh, they had even, many years before I came to the church, they had been kicked off the church bus. That's how bad they were. Um, but I reached out to them, and they started coming, and they were older and teenagers at this time. And at, at uh, Wade Baptist, you know, sometimes they would get up in the balcony, and they would leave candy wrappers, and they would make noise and everything. And one of the deacons came to me one time, you got to do something about that up there. I said, well, I'll, I'll do what I can. I said, um, isn't it good that they're here at church? They said, well, we don't want them to tear our church up. And I said, I understand. I said, but I just want to tell you something, brother. I said, I'm trying to get the worst kids in this neighborhood. And it's, it's just in Wade, you know. And it doesn't like many people there, but there are a bunch of people in those woods, I promise you. So I'm trying to get the, the, the worst kids I can to church here. That deacon looked at me and said, well, you've done it, and walked off. <laughs> and so... That was kind of difficult. You know, here you are, you're trying to minister, and you see some response and others discouraging you, but I just kept on trying to do what I could do. But unfortunately, one Friday night, you know, we had the fifth quarters like you do after ball games, and at East Central we had some great times, and, and the kids would come, and we were meeting at, at one of the churches there, and uh, while we were having that fifth quarter, there was a, a teenage boy, one of those boys that we were trying to reach from a, a horrible home life. Uh, he was walking in Highway 63. I still don't understand exactly what happened because he was in the, the middle of Highway 63. It was a very dark area. And he was hit, hit and he was killed. Now, before that happened... Um, our youth group at Wade was kind of divided, to tell you the truth. There was a group of the kids that were, some might call them the cool kids, you know, uh, the ones that had nice vehicles. and uh, But then you had these other kids, students, that were from difficult home lives, and many of them from very poor areas and, and didn't have very much. And so we met in the old sanctuary at Wade. Some of you that know Wade Baptist is, the, the old white building, they've torn it down since, but that was our youth building, and they had built the, the new sanctuary by this time. And so we would meet in there, and there was like, over here was one group of students, and here was the other group of students. This group over here didn't think that this group wanted them to have anything to do with them, so they didn't, and so it was kind of divided. But then they had Scotty's funeral. And the church and everyone came together to support. And I will never forget that Wednesday night worship service with the youth. We, they came together. <laughs> they all came together. That night there wasn't any division. Everybody was hugging everybody. Everybody was crying, it seemed. Everybody cared. It was a horrible thing that happened. Horrible thing that happened. But I think it humbled us all to realize you never know <laughs> when life is going to end for us. You never know how you impact someone. 
And I'm so glad to tell you that a few weeks before Scotty died, he was baptized. He accepted the Lord. And and at that time, at that baptism, the, the students hadn't made a very big deal about it. You know, that was just Scotty. But once Scotty died, they, they quickly understood <laughs> how precious life was and how precious Scotty was in the Lord's eyes. And so through that difficulty of dealing with that, I learned so much. It wasn't a sermon that I preached to youth that changed them. (laughs) It wasn't my funny jokes that changed them. It wasn't a lock-in or a bowling trip or a pizza party. It was the knowledge that life is precious And you never know (laughs) when it's going to be over. And so let's spend our lives doing our best for him and counting it all joy when we fall into various trials and tribulations, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach and will be given to him. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. I'm so glad we don't have to be unstable. Jesus is our rock. Let's pray.